G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Hey, with significant challenges on the economic horizon, we are continuing some discussion today about Christian understanding of how we look after the vulnerable in our own families and in our communities. In some earlier insights, you might recall we've presented a biblical case for resisting those who promise our welfare to keep us safe, but their desire is to rule us and even enslave us. Andrew McColl, Family Voice Australia, Queensland State Director, is back with us. Andrew, welcome back to 2020. Hello, Neil. Nice to hear from you again, and good morning to your listeners. Andrew, uh, let's start, as we've done in some earlier conversations around this sort of topic, uh, a biblical (laughs) foundation here. You're taking us back to Deuteronomy. Well, I am. We've been talking about education, health and welfare a little bit on different weeks, Neil. And today we want to have a look at a welfare passage in Deuteronomy. And it doesn't have to do with government. It has to do with people like you and me who are simply part of the body of Christ, the people of God. We're not part of any elite group, but we're simply God's people or a part of God's people. And this reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 24. Andrew, let me I'll just uh, let me the... just jump in here and uh, I'll read the passage and uh, and I'll ask your thoughts on it. Uh, so for listeners, sure. uh, let's hear this uh, Deuteronomy 24, 17 through 22. And uh, the passage says, Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That's why I commanded you to do this. When you are harvesting in your fields and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That's why I commanded you to do this. Andrew, what does all this mean? Well, what it does mean is that the family is to be caring for its own. And we have to see that welfare is a private responsibility, firstly for individuals and families. It mustn't be located in the state. That means it's not going to be centralised, not bureaucratic, not inflexible or heartless, but it must be godly and local and personal. Now, we know that governments make grand promises. Uh, I wonder if you've got some thoughts here around government and perhaps even uh, localising this to (laughs) our nation of Australia and how this all fits 
governments and the grand promises they make. Given that there's hey, there's an election going on in Victoria on Saturday, uh, there's all sorts of grand promises being made on both sides there. Uh, how do we understand governments and grand promises? Well, governments and, and grand promises often go together. Unfortunately, when governments make grand promises to their people, it's always difficult for them to actually come through on those promises. And when you get down to the matter of welfare, which government is very big on, well, they claim to be very big on, we have some challenges there. Firstly, government welfare expects nothing from its beneficiaries. It extends its privileges as unquestioned and unquestionable entitlements. The poor are not obligated in any way to meet the social demands of citizenship. In this way, welfare is an especially grotesque form of discrimination. It creates a separate class of people, people who are not like all others in the society. They're not expected to act responsibly. They're not expected to learn a trade. not expected to improve their lot. They're not expected to stay out of trouble with the law. Now, this is pause here for a moment, reflect here for a moment. Uh, we've become used to the thought of a significant government welfare net, and we think that's a good thing, don't we? And uh, we do like the thought that there won't be any sort of discrimination. If someone meets a particular criteria, they're going to get something that's going to support them so they're not begging on the streets. Uh, we think that's actually a good thing. What you're saying here, though, Andrew, uh, it seems to say that there ought to be some sort of a, a reciprocal, a, a way of meeting a responsibility to actually be a, benef- a benefit to the nation. Is this what you're sort of indicating here? Because uh, somehow we've become very used to the fact that the government has some handouts. And even though we tolerate people who might be rotting the system, uh, what are your thoughts around that? Well, this is the thing. There are always going to be people who are able to rot the system because the system isn't designed to keep out rorts. Most most members of most, most MPs who know about Social Security know that there are lots and lots of people who manage to rot the system. And what this produces is one generation after another who've learned to be on welfare They've learned to expect their Thursday cheque coming into their the big account. So on Thursdays is a big day, or every second Thursday very commonly. I can get into my local coffee shop on every second Thursday, and there are lots of people there. Uh, I'm surmising, Neil, that a significant proportion of those folks have just got their pay today, and so they're off, and they're off on the town having their cup of coffee and piece of cake. Nothing wrong with that. But if that wasn't done, then those people would be, well, quite a few might be in some serious trouble. But if there was a much more, a much more personal oversight of that, if there was welfare still, but if it was governed by people who are careful about monies that are given out and it was personal and it was family-based, that would change so many things. Now, we've always had, almost from the first fleet, when we came to Australia in the first place, uh, there have been people at work in our community who wanted to help the needy, and that's a great thing. 
so that there are agencies of welfare, private ones, agencies who are here to care for the poor, but we want to say first, look, this text tells us this, this whole matter of welfare must begin with the family. You know, uh, when we talk about government and welfare, uh, the thought that uh, good government uh, provides welfare, uh, but there is some motive in some governments, uh, let's include every flavour in that, uh, that has its motivation in rulership and control. And uh, what you're saying is that there is a short circuit uh, to that, a circuit breaker to it, and that is uh, shifting the welfare mentality from public to private. Uh, give us some insights here into, into how you might do that. Well, the family, Neil, is, is designated by the Lord as the chief agency of human welfare. It's the agency that is most effective for solving the problems of poverty and sickness and crisis. It's the only agency which knows its limitations and its strengths. So the head of every household counts the costs of every project undertaken by the family. No other human agency links self-interest, mutual understanding and obligations and mutual support in the way that a family can because the members are close. They know each other's weaknesses and strengths. The family is also an extended institution with bloodline contacts that can be spread out widely. It can call upon related families to help in a crisis. What I can hear you say in those sorts of thoughts, Andrew, is that uh, when a family takes responsibility, not only is it a resistance to uh, that ruling, even a tyranny, but it also actually makes family interdependent upon one another and so uh, therefore holding families together. Is there, is there some strength there as well? Well, there is, Neil. I mean, when we were born, our parents cared for us and, and as we all know, babies and small children are very vulnerable people, very, very vulnerable. They need lots and lots of care and attention from family members, especially their parents. Now, as they get older, as we as we go to adulthood, that care hasn't hasn't got to be shown in the same way. But then, when we get old and frail, once again it turns around, and the those who were caring 50, 60, 70 years ago are now in need of some degree of care from those that they did actually care for many years earlier. Now, I can I can give you an example of how that happened in, in my family uh, when. My mother was was widowed for the second time. Let me see. That was I think that was in the late, very late in the in the nineteen nineties, and uh, she was left in England at the time. She was in England that's, she, because she married in the, on her second marriage an English farmer, and he now died. She's left in England alone. She's eighty. All her family is in Australia. All of her five children were in Australia. So my siblings decided, and I think it was a great idea, that that we should go and get mum and bring her out here for her last years of life. She was lonely in England, and England's cold, and it doesn't suit, didn't suit her. So my brother and sister went over to England, packed her up, put her on a plane, brought her back to Australia, and she lived her last years of her life in Australia, cared for by her family 
and there's a certain sense of love that can come from a caring family uh, that doesn't come from whatever welfare that might be on offer. Uh, Some families have got challenges with all that as well. And there's another dimension here just to pick up on. I mean, if you want to separate people from family values, uh, entice them away with an alternative support and welfare. Uh, That seems to have worked against families too at different times. Well, it does. And it it, it also means that there's another source of supply outside the family, which means that that the, the close family ties can easily be be frayed and lost. But when we know that family is going to be there for us if we find ourselves in trouble or if we're simply just getting old and frail, that creates a lot more affection and emotion for family, and that's a very healthy thing. Uh, So family and then broadening that uh, to wider community. I wonder if you've got any thoughts here. Uh, There's some more biblical examples we can call on. Uh, about how we might even change our mindset about the way we think about welfare. Well, that's right, Neil. And when we go to the story that Jesus told us about the Good Samaritan, he refuses to pass the buck. He isn't worried about contact with the dead, for he honours a basic principle of life, which is charity. He refuses to leave the dirty work, the ritually unclean work, to someone else. He accepts personal responsibility, never once looking for an easy way out. He spends his time, his money, and his energy on behalf of the poor man without hesitation, without a second thought, without looking for excuses. He just did what his job was. He did what he ought to have done. He did what he had to morally. He demonstrated God's law and God's love in action. If we were coming back to that scripture we read as our conversation got underway and uh, going back to Deuteronomy, the thought of, uh, you know, and farmers appreciate this sort of thing. When you're harvesting, uh, leave something there that's left over. And, uh, you know, those sorts of stories we can read and perhaps in the book of Ruth, uh, the gleaning of the fields, uh, those who are... Because there's no welfare safety net from a government, uh, this thought that when you are in business, uh, that there's something left over to support people, that's that's a pretty powerful principle to align yourself to, isn't it? Well, it is. And when you think about the fact that there, back in those days, in biblical times, there was no income tax. So people had resources and it was in their interests to care for their needy people. So they would leave these things out in the field, grapes, the olives, uh, and the... And what was the other one we quoted? The um, um, It was uh, grapes and olives, and uh, if I just come back to that passage, I'll be able to let us know. Uh, so olive, yeah. olive trees... Um, uh, there's grapes, yeah, sheaf of wheat, just harvesting your field. So yep, a sheaf of wheat. Of grain. Yep, that's it. Yeah. Grain, grain, yeah. olives, that's and and uh, and and grapes. So, that, so they would leave those things out in the field for the needy because they knew that that was those people's source of livelihood for them. So that was in their interest not to be selfish and go and get every last one, but to leave it for those needy people who would come 
because getting getting that would be important for them. So that was their way of caring for the needy people in, in those communities. Well, taking responsibility for, and we've had some conversations about a family and education and around health issues and around welfare. And while some of those biblical illustrations, you know, you have to see the principle rather than talk about, you know, because how many of us are growing olive groves? Uh, but uh, but taking yeah. those principles and applying them into our 21st century, uh, there's got to be some things that we can glean from that. Well, there certainly are. And, 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 and what, what these principles teach us from Scripture is that taking responsibility for the family's education, health and welfare is major and it's challenging. But we know that, that, that from little things, big things grow. But by assuming godly responsibility, believers and the church could begin to regain authority in the community. And wouldn't that be a good thing, Neil? You know, I love proactive thoughts about this because somehow or other, and uh, we'll often have conversations on this program, as you'll know, Andrew, uh, about the way the reputation of the church is languishing a little now. And how do you win back the fans? How do you win back those people in the community to recognize the power and impact of the gospel message and uh, this is one way to do that to have a biblical mentality about how we care for one another i'll point people to connecting with andrew mccall family voice australia he's the queensland state director the family voice website is familyvoice.org.au it's familyvoice.org.au andrew mccall thank you so much for a great update once again today on 2020 Thank you, Neil. Nice talking to your listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.